This episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Film Stage Show. Standing in for Brian J. Roan and Robin Barr, it's me, Connor O'Donnell, from the B-Side, assuming hosting duties today alongside Film Stage co-founder and B-Side co-host, Dan Mecca. Uh, Hello. How are you, Dan? I'm well. Can't complain. Happy, you know, New Year right around the corner. Yeah, right good. around the corner. Um, any Any moment, probably, as you're... As you're listening to this, uh, also here with us, as usual, is Bill Graham. Bill, how are you? I am doing excellent. I'm here to talk about a fun movie. All right. All right. I like I like to hear that. Uh, yes, that fun movie. We're going to be reviewing Lana Wachowski's long-awaited fourth installment to the Matrix franchise, The Matrix Resurrections, which is now in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. And here to help us do that is Esther Rosenfield. Esther, how are you? Hi, I'm doing good. For those of you listening, uh, if you want to uh, follow us, you can do so at, on Twitter, at The Film Stage Show, on Facebook, at The Film Stage Show. And uh, if you want to shoot us an email, you can send that to podcast at thefilmstage.com. Uh, you can become patrons of this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our private Slack channel and a first crack at our raffles and other fun stuff. As usual, this episode of the film stage show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. Try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. Uh, this month on Mubi, you can check out uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Wife of a Spy. Genre master Kiyoshi Kurosawa turns to Alfred Hitchcock for inspiration with this Venice Silver Lion winner. It's a riveting tale of cloaked identities and marital distrust. It is immaculately directed. This nail-biting thriller makes a reflexive case for filmmaking as the ultimate act of political subversion. And that is on Mubi. You can check it out. Um, now that we're done with that, we will uh, 
we'll just dive into it. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about uh, The Matrix Resurrections. Features franchise leads uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss returning alongside newcomers Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, Priyanka Chopra-Jonas, Jessica Henwick, Neil Patrick Harris, and Jonathan Groff, among others. It follows Keanu Reeves' Thomas Anderson slash Neo, who is plagued by strange memories as he finds himself once again mysteriously trapped inside the Matrix. And here is a little bit of the trailer. Thomas? You seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. And now that you won't be able to get White Rabbit out of your head, <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and just dive in to our uh, our initial thoughts. I guess Esther, we'll we'll start with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, and also know, Esther, pre- what do you think? And also, when you talk, like, also the whole, I guess, the whole Matrix, you know, yeah, franchise, yeah, maybe, maybe the context kind of, of start like with our, our relationship to the Matrix as a whole, maybe might. Be yeah, yeah, I think that's important too. So, anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, then no, yeah, totally. You know, I the the Matrix was like the. I think this is probably true for a lot of people my age. It's like the first R-rated movie that I ever saw. I got like the DVD from the library, and yeah, I mean, it blew my mind. It's still, it's 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 amazing, and it's uh, having rewatched it recently, it's still amazing, and. I, I I love the Matrix movies. I love the Wachowskis. There was basically there was basically no way that I wasn't going to like completely adore this movie. True. Um, <laughs> so you know, keep that in mind when you listen to the to the things I'm saying about it. But yeah, I I I absolutely loved the the Matrix Resurrections um, as much as any of the other ones. I think it's fantastic. Nice. And uh, Bill, what about you? So I didn't have very high expectations for this. Um, I'll, I'll be very honest. I think I got a little worried about uh, it coming out. I didn't understand why this film was was ever necessary. Um, mm. I feel like even after watching uh, a Revolution, Revolutions, Revelations, what the, what the Revolutions, revolutions? Yeah, the third one. Revolutions. Uh, Again, recently, uh, my wife and I did a rewatch of them, and I thought that was pretty final. I, I definitely understand, like, okay, maybe that doesn't have the finality that it kind of thinks it does, and you can kind of talk yourself out of that being a final piece. Um, but, you know, I'm here for the Keanu Sants, and... Uh, I, I've been lucky enough to speak with him twice in person. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm just all about this. And I think initially when the trailer dropped, I was really excited for it. Um, the first Matrix film is one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, it really like kind of cemented that 
it, it reminds me, and I know this is kind of a cliche by now, but like for my generation, this was definitely like my Star Wars. Like it, it just was game changer in so many different ways. And um, yeah, I, in terms of this film, I think I appreciate it more than I actually love it. Um, I was so pleasantly surprised by all of it, though. Um, I went in with fairly low expectations. Uh, I'll be honest, I watched it with some family that I don't normally watch anything with, so I didn't know how they were going to react. We watched it on Christmas or the day before Christmas, and it was kind of all right, I don't know if they're going to be assholes throughout the entire movie. I don't know what's going to go on. And, you know, we watched it on a smaller screen on HBO Max, like uh, I bet a lot of other people. And I I really quite enjoyed my time with it. Damn, what about you? Yeah, no, I think it sounds like we're all going to be pretty positive uh, here, which is great um, because I know this is – this the fourth one, the Matrix, the Matrix Resurrections has been getting, I guess, mixed reviews. Though I feel like fairly positive overall. Though I know you know we can talk about the performance so far and all of that stuff. But um, I liked it a whole lot. Um, uh, ditto the thoughts on the original Matrix. Um, I feel like I've always been a defender of the two sequels, even when they came out. I mean, people, you know, people for people forget, you know, when, when Reloaded came out, people liked it. It wasn't like, it's weird how, you know, oh, yeah. we can Re- get Reloaded's into this. Reloaded's fine. Reloaded's fine. They're, yeah. Well, I mean, I, they're, they're, they're both good. So that's my, my opinion fine. is they're, they're sure. both good. So, but, <laughs> but in the world of, of Dan, Dan's had the final word. They're both of, good. No, no, my, my, no opinion. Opinion. <laughs> my, my opinion, my opinion, but, but what I'm saying is, but what in the, in the world of, of box office, right? If you remember, right, they made two and three at the same time. And then. I would have to think Warner Brothers would admit regret on this now. They released both within six months of each other, right? So Reloaded came out in like May or whatever, and Revolutions came out, I think, in September. No, it was November. November. November, November, okay, in 2003. And Revolutions, I want to say, made like $300 million less then reloaded. Yeah, sig- and, yeah, about that. It, yeah, I and I would have like just under five hundred million or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and I would have to <clears> think. <throat> I mean, a little bit of that was people just being like, "Didn't I already just see like this movie?" If you, you know, if you'd maybe waited another six months or whatever. Point is, you know, the that trilogy ended a bit dubiously in terms of the public's perception of it, right? Though to Bill's point, de- definitively, for sure. I mean, it ends and it's that's the ending of of the of the story, right? But one of the reasons I like Resurrections is Lana Wachowski and everybody involved in making it clearly know that and are you know critiquing them them making the movie at all, right? While making the movie, which I think is very clever. And uh, yeah, I was I was thoroughly impressed and uh, uh, had a great time. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically going to echo all of that because I I think this movie I saw it first with Jordan Rout, uh, our fearless leader, Jordan Rout. Uh, he and I saw it in IMAX the day it came out, which was a nice experience. Um, and then I had. And then I saw it again the next day because I had already bought tickets to go with some friends. So I had kind of 
a nice unique experience of being able to watch it like big kind of back to back. And that second viewing I think was kind of crucial for me. Um, just cause there was no expectation at that point. Right. Like you're just, I knew what the movie was obviously and, and was able to then kind of like continue to deconstruct it or whatever. But I mean, I be, I'm basically with you, Dan, in terms of, uh, or I guess all of you just in terms of those other movies, like the first one, obviously huge in that home video way when you're maybe younger and more impressionable. And then, you know, those sequels, I remember liking them both a lot upon release. And then they've only really, frankly, grown in my estimation over the years, especially when we've seen what like big budget filmmaking has become. Um, and I think this movie finds a way to make a, a case for itself existing while also really not worrying about whether or not it, it just kind of coming in with a full bore confidence that most movies like this don't necessarily come in with. And it it really has has no regard for what you may or may not think of it uh, or frankly think of the franchise, which I think is kind of fascinating and 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 feels frankly very on brand for Lana Wachowski, given all the other things that she's been a part of. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if it's OK with everyone here, I kind of want to just straight up dive into spoilers because it's really hard to talk about this movie from a plot standpoint without really just giving things away. Um, yeah, I think we all recommend it, right? So I don't know that we yeah, need to yeah. belabor. I, I, I mean, I would say, you know, frankly, wa watch it once and then and then watch it twice, you know, to uh, <laughs> to really kind of unpack it. But um, but I think if we're yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this is this is a very difficult to talk about film especially in a in a culture now where like people are so just spoiler averse in so sure, many different sure. ways where you know we say you know certain people are in this film and people are like that's a spoiler and it's like oh fuck come on yeah like <laughs> yeah and, i mean you could say certain people are not in this film and it's a spoiler you know what i mean <laughs> right, that's right, like, sure. right. um but yeah I, so i think just for you listener if you have not seen this movie uh, you can you can kind of take a break, hit pause now, watch it, and then come back, and we will fully uh, dive in to uh, to kind of what is so spoilery about it. Which I think the first thing out of the gate is frankly the the structure of the movie. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. I I can't think offhand. You know, there were a handful of people who were tweeting about this movie once the embargoes started lifting. And I can't remember who it was that tweeted this, but somebody it's kind of a mean tweet, actually, now that I think about it, where it's like, oh, that gives a lot away uh, if you're if you want to go in fresh. But somebody referred to this movie as Lana Wachowski's new nightmare. I know that I read that yeah. tweet and mm -hmm. it made me mad. Now, now yeah, I was mad about it. I, yeah, it made me a little mad, too. Now, having seen the movie, it is the perfect description, I think. Like, yeah, if, but if you uh, try and sum it up. Um and I think it's one of the th reasons I think it's good to know about the movie going in is because it's the most different thing about it. So if you're someone like I, I had two separate conversations with this week with friends who had seen it and that was the thing they hated the most, like in terms it was just like the meta textual kind of handling of 
you know, the basically Thomas Anderson slash Neo's like reinsertion into the matrix and, and what his life was. Um, personally, it's like one of my favorite things about the movie, but I can understand if you're someone who, if you're someone who watches these movies and expects certain things out of them, I can understand just straight, well, straight up yeah, like but being totally averse to it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Esther, I'd love for you to, to kind of jump in and tell us your thoughts, I guess, but, but, but just to get us into that, but this is not, I mean, to me, it's, you have the first movie, right? Which is obviously kind of universally loved as it should be. And then, you know, the decisions that were made by the Wachowskis and then now Lana with Resurrections, I don't, if you were surprised and, you know, put off by the decisions made in the metatextual stuff happening in this movie, uh, then I, I, I don't know how you would necessarily be surprised because this is in line with the sequels, right? Like the, the looking at mythology in a critical way while you're telling a mythological story and, and just naturally going to the next level in this fourth iteration that feels unnecessary, right? So once again, to what Bill was saying, I mean, you know, the alternative is what, right? You just, you basically do this story without the framework, which we can quickly bottle it, which is basically, right? The movie opens, it's a cold open. It kind of eerily reflects the opening of the original Matrix, but the the players are different and you have this character Bugs, played by Jessica Henwick, who is commenting while we're watching, while she's watching, that it's like the first scene. And but then it goes differently. Bugs is nearly caught. And then we meet Thomas Anderson again. And this time he's Keanu Reeves, but he's got a beard and he has long hair and he's the most popular game, you know, video game designer of all time. And he's mm-hmm. the most popular video game designer of all time because he made the trilogy, which is the matrix for Warner brothers, the parent company. And the name of the company is that his company is what stay Deus Machina, Deus right? Machina, and it's like, yeah. he's working on a new game called binary, which is, you know, a huge hint at what's going to be the huge reveal of, um, this fourth movie, which if you go back and you watch the second and third movies, they were hinting at in those movies. So it's like, that's where I, I think it's funny where I'm like, if you don't think like, to me, it's like the first matrix is one movie. The second and third are basically one movie. Really? Right. They should almost they, be watched as take, one movie. They take place also over. Yeah. They should, it should almost be one movie. Yeah. And then this, and then this is obviously the beginning of something else kind of, but the ending they get to, you know, which expands upon the theory of the one is what mm-hmm. they were, you know, alluding to at the end of revolutions, right? Or, or through, throughout revolutions, as a matter of fact. So that's why I kind of, I, I, I understand the idea of like, it feels, you know, I can get it feeling too clever by half and all these things. But like, I just think it's almost like, well, then you just like that first matrix and that's fine, but maybe just avoid the sequels because right, it's just right. not going to be your I, cup of tea. You yeah, know? I agree. Esther, what are what are your thoughts on kind of the the meta the the very direct uh, meta goings on of this movie? Yeah, you know, it's something that is definitely like 
it, it's low on my list of the things that like really really get me about this movie but i think it's like it, it's interesting because um it to me the kind of meta stuff is is first of all absolutely like lana wachowski more doing more than poking fun at like the uh, process of how this movie got made the idea that like as you know the history of this movie is they were going to make a matrix movie without her um and eventually you know we don't know what happened behind the scenes but she they the project got reconfigured and now all of a sudden she's back and uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are back. Um, so that whole portion of the movie where they talk about how the studio is going to make us make a fourth one and like either you're in or you're out, they can do it without you. And just this like torturous montage of this like hellish existence where Neo is like forced to listen to people uh, like completely fail to understand what the story is about um, or, you know, uh, use buzzwords and and brand talk and stuff like that. Um, absolutely, I think is like that's Lana Wachowski saying this is what it was like to like make this movie and it sucked. But I think it's what's most interesting about that is the the idea that like and you know maybe we'll talk about the kind of more the bigger reveals about what the circum what these circumstances actually are later on. But I think it's intriguing that like that is basically reframed nearer to the end is like a specific form of torture that's been designed for Neo that he has to go through this. Um, so to me, like the, the, the sort of metatextual stuff is interesting in that sense, this idea that like Neo, one of the ways that Neo is being like emotionally tormented by, uh, by these machines is to force him to like, uh, uh, have the events of his life like trivialized and misinterpreted by these people who like don't know anything what they're talking about um yeah that, and that's something that like really kind of only cracked open for me on the second watch because the first time i was watching it i was like I, I just don't know what's going on and it seems like this whole section is going on for like 45 minutes <laughs> I, I just didn't at that point had no like the movie could have been anything after that all my expectations were gone <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing, and I, I, I've watched it now three times, once at home, and then I saw it twice in the theater. But like after now, the three watches, um, the one thing that I almost, I don't know how you work this into the movie, but I would have liked to have seen more of, is also Trinity's half of that, like. Mm. psychological loop because the movie does do like one one of the the weird thing about this movie i think is how kind of adverse uh i mean it's what makes the movie great but lana wachowski's very direct about how adverse she is to matrix to making what we all would normally perceive as a matrix movie right in quotes right and instead is is pivoting to this like fascinating relationship drama set against the backdrop of the matrix universe. Right. And there's that amazing scene, the first real scene they have together where they're sitting in the simulate coffee shop and Carrie Ann Moss has that bit where she's talking about um, programming. Right. And she's talking about like, Oh, like I love my kids and I love my husband, like, but do I have these things because I was programmed to want to have them or do I have them because I wanted to have them? Right. And 
that I feel like is the only nugget that we get that like that's the loop that they put her in, you know, like this sort of day in day out being a mom yeah, traditional yeah yeah while may, while maybe dangling the carrot of, matriarchal yeah yeah, yeah. And, and maybe while dangling the carrot of building motorcycles in front of her right the same way with neo they're dangling the carrot of like being a game designer and being in control of something and building something out of code and you know all this stuff um i thought all that was really fascinating and like you mentioned esther like that the nature of what they were doing and what's actually going on didn't click fully for me until the second watch. Um, but I think what was most impressive to me about the movie is how Lana is able to take these, you know, these meta things and the feelings of having to go back to this universe, uh, and granted willingly, like she, you know, her idea she decided to make this movie out of a concept that she sort of thought up uh, after the death of her parents right and um and i think she very smartly weaves the meta stuff in with you know a movie about legacy and and reckoning with a legacy which i think is a i feel like that's a very now kind of a very traditional theme that usually gets roped into these like 20 years later sequels that come out. But I think particularly when you call into question the thing of like revolutions being like, wait, wasn't that the end? And like, isn't like, didn't, isn't it over? Like, why do we need this? There's also that great scene when uh, Keanu Reeves, after he's been pulled out of his, of his pod, um, and he's talking to Jessica Henwick and he says to her like, oh, I feel like everything we did, like none of it mattered. <laughs> and uh, which I will say I do. I do. I did wish they gave us a little bit more to chew on with because Bugs is like, no, it did matter. It really did. And then you see the new city, which is obviously way bigger than Zion. And, better, and the whole right? it seems like a sure, 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 yeah. sure. And they're working with the robots, and that's all cool. But I almost, I mean, this is maybe me being too like literal, but I almost wanted a line of like, you saved millions, millions were unplugged after right. what happened. Like, because it is a little, he says that, and you're like, yeah, a little bit. Like, I hate to say this, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of the, I, I do think that is a hurdle Lana Wachowski puts in front of herself that I don't know that she fully clears. It didn't really bother me. And like, yeah. since we're all positive, I'm happy to like, I can, I can be the more critical one here and kind of point out some things that maybe didn't bother me, but certainly I could see bothering people just so there's like some talking points in terms of as we kind of sure. keep going. Sure. But that was, but that was one thing that, that thing stood out. And for me, the biggest thing, and that wasn't a huge issue for me, but I could understand it being an issue is the the one of the, I think the biggest creative swings they make here is the Morpheus character, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that it really worked fully for me. Um, I I don't think it works at all. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Whereas I will say I thought Jonathan Groff slash mm -hmm. Neil Patrick Harris were basically it takes two to like 
make up for one Hugo Weaving, which in a way, right? Which, which, but, but I think they do their job. Like, I think Groff is great, actually. I, like, he, I, I love, like, his voice pivots where he, like, his first line where he's just regurgitating, you know, he says the line and he's like, you wrote that, right? And then, and then he, like, jumps up back an octave to, like, more of Jonathan Groff's normal voice, yeah. you know, like, because he's excited or whatever. He's, or he's in cell mode as a, as the, you know, the, the guy who's running the company. I liked all that. I thought, and, and his choreography, his, uh, his fight, uh, ability, you know, I don't, what do I know about it? But it felt very legit to me and I was engaged. So yeah, he impressed me a lot. I'll say that. Yeah. I think the more, just to, cause we did kind of gloss over the Morpheus thing and it is a huge, it is like, Oh yeah, we should go back. Yeah. Part of the thing. But you mentioned the, the, uh, sort of regurgitation of the first movie that that this sort of starts off with and it's because neo has created uh or i should say thomas anderson because he's in the matrix and he creates it within the matrix but within the game that he's making he creates a modal for evolving programs and he sort of that did jack that did jack me up when they said modal and i was like oh it's like the first one i don't even know what they're saying let's go yeah, yeah, i was like, like jargon oh man jargon. it brings me back to 99 i was like yeah i don't know what a modal is tell me more let's go um i but i did think they were very generous with the way they explained things which was nice like it they throw a lot at you and i think in any other franchise or movie that would annoy the shit out of me but honestly like long exposition monologue things are like one of my favorite things about these movies but um but yeah well the- but we also have to give credit where credit's due a lot of that monologuing stuff and a lot of that was delivered by fishburn which this film doesn't have sure and so it doesn't yeah, have yeah. that that glorious expository dump where we get fishburn as part of that and i think I think that's that's one of the biggest missing pieces because as much as I like Yahya Abdul Mateen the second, um, I'm just gonna have I I got into that and I had call to finish out. Call me Yahya. Yeah, call me Yahya. <laughs> I, I had to give the whole thing. Um, but you know, I I really liked him in Watchmen. I've liked him in some other stuff. I thought I thought he was good in Candyman, but man, what a bad movie. Um, Whoa. But yeah. Uh, big big uh i act, big I act like there. i didn't listen to the episode but continue. <laughs> but i i just don't think his character specifically has any benefit except for when we realize that like he's the he's one of those machines that like then becomes this kind of like floating uh i don't know what to call it marbles like like yeah floating like a, marble like a nanobot guy. they're like nanobots yeah they're like little tiny robots or whatever like you know. i liked him in that but when he's in full costume and acting like morpheus i was just like this is this is just a step too far i i just got, i gotta disagree slightly only because okay. what what i liked about it is that he's not playing morpheus right he's just called morpheus because he's put in this kind of skin in this form that's like that would be comfortable for for neo right and um and what i liked about particularly i mean obviously his outfits are fucking great they're like Mm -hmm. some of the Mm -hmm. best things that have been in any of these movies 
But one of the things I liked the most about how that all kind of encapsulates the character is that you can picture from the mind of a program that's all they've known is a gray suit in a looping modal over and over and over again where they Mm -hmm. nearly lost their mind you could totally see them being like wait there's like color and shit you know like they're Mm -hmm. like and i Mm -hmm. I, so i like love that it's that sort of translates into these like totally that yeah that yeah the, the idea of him not being good at being morpheus right but I, but trying to try is funny yeah, um, yeah. and like and kind but of, then it's just kind of abandoned because they don't need it anymore and that's, yeah, just that's kind true. of i think that's, that's a hard thing you know i just that's a hard screenplay thing because i think at a certain point you, you need him and you need that character because obviously his kind of ability to morph as basically a a, like we're talking about, he can't really exist in the real world because he's a mach- he's a not even a machine, right? He's, he's a, a program. program, yeah. But he can approximate in the real world as this like collection of particles, right? So because of that, he's able to, you know, become little Alex Mack got person, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm very old apparently, um, going into the little pods and stuff. And, you know, and obviously he's like, um, a, he's like a T-1000. Or something exactly. Like, yes, like that's tremendous. it's more more uh, more people will, will get that. But um, but anyway, yeah, like so that the practical part of that for the character, you get why he's there. But the comic relief he serves in that opening, sadly, kind of goes away. Which I guess I guess you just make that decision for economy and whatnot. But I think that's a little unfortunate because he's obviously such a good performer. Um, but then it's like. I don't know. There's so many, there's so much happening, right? Like, I mean, Esther, you, you really love this movie. What stood out the most just among, um, I'm assuming many highlights for you? Like what, what in this really hit the hardest? <sighs> I mean, well, okay. First of all, I, sh- I do want to say that I did. I liked Yaya a lot. Um, nice. I like that, you know, again, I, uh, to, to reiterate, like, I like the idea of this program who's like, feel it's kind of happening in the background right but feeling the joy and the uh and feeling you know uh free for the first time i love that moment where he kind of summons the dojo around him because uh he's gonna spar with neo and he does this like we he does this like spin and this flourish as he like transitions into a new outfit it's just so fun <laughs> it's nothing like Lawrence fishburne at all but yeah I, like i yeah, appreciate agree. that like he's not trying to do an impression and i feel the same way about jonathan groff as well who i thought was awesome i loved him just like you can't do, you know, what Hugo Weaving was doing in those movies is like lightning in a bottle. Like you can't, if you try to replicate it, you're doomed. And I love that he was like, I, I'm just going to go a completely different direction with it. And my Smith is like a totally different take on this character, um, kind of following up from where that character was going and maybe would have gone uh, if things at the end of Revolutions had gone differently. But yeah, I, I, I thought, you know, really interesting choices. Um, I love Jessica Henwick as Bugs. I think like if you're going to have a new character be to have such a prominent role in this like legacy sequel, uh, she just does an awesome job. It's such a fun character and a fun performance. You know, there's a lot about this movie that like that gets me. And, you know, this is this is the part where I have to say like that this is uh where I, where I have to talk about the the trans stuff because obviously you know 
the 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 trans allegory stuff with regard to the first film and its sequels is something that I think probably people were talking about maybe on the margins, but definitely wasn't really picked up on until Lana came out and then Lily came out. And then, you know, I know recently in the press, they like quote unquote confirmed it, but I, I feel like they didn't have to do that. Like it's kind of, it's kind of right there. Um, and it's totally like, for me, it's totally foregrounded here. Um, you know, this site, and especially when you talk about those, the, the way that they repurpose the pill imagery is, is really interesting to me. Because uh, the first time that Bugs meets the Morpheus program, she offers him the red pill and the blue pill choice. But she tells him, you know, it's not really a choice, right? Because you already know what you have to do. And I think that was such an interesting way of kind of evoking the way that the that that imagery was kind of used as part of the allegory in the first film and then evolving it to say, well, you know, if we're, if you're saying that taking this pill is like choosing to come out and choosing to trans to transition, for example, um, that's not actually like a choice in the way that, in the way that this allegory frames it, like you already have made the choice by simply being who you are and knowing what you are. And I, one thing that, again, I like about the, this take on Morpheus is like, they say in the movie that he's programmed to be not just Morpheus, but he's supposed to be Morpheus and Agent Smith, right? He's this mix of both of these characters, but he chooses to sort of, when we first see him, he's being Agent Smith. He's literally playing out that role that Smith had in the first scene of the first film, but he chooses to be Morpheus, and that's what taking the, the pill represents for him. I, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm rambling. No, a no, bit. no, no, no. This is, no. This is <laughs> all following, I think, <laughs> like a really great I, I, I appreciate that. I, I want to um, mention one thing real quick is, you know, replaying in my mind and having watched the original Matrix not that long ago, um, probably maybe three, four weeks ago there's a very interesting sequence in that red pill, blue pill scene that I don't think is commented very often upon. Um, and that's Neo is the reaching for the red pill. And before he can touch the red pill, Morpheus says another line of dialogue. And he's, he's like, all I offer is just simply the truth. And it's one of those weird kind of things where you start to realize, okay, he's going for the red pill. Morpheus believes that Neo is the one, right? He believes that the, he's going to find the one. And so he's got this guy who he believes is the one. He's about to choose the pill that's going to pull him out of the matrix and into the real world and start this whole thing, right? And right before he he is able to grab it, he just can't help himself but give one more line of dialogue where he's just like, all I'm offering is just simply the truth. And it's like, do you want me to choose this red pill or not? And so uh, I find it interesting that in this iteration, they're basically telling characters, well, here's a red pill, here's a blue pill. But you don't really, like, we all know what you're going right. to choose. Right? It's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's the whole and Esther, the reason I thought that was such a great thread you were kind of uh, weaving for us is just that, like, it really does set the stage for the fact that this whole movie, and as you mentioned, kind of puts all of the trans elements very front and center, is that from, like, minute one, it's about deconstructing the binaries, right? Like, and even, fr totally. even frankly, with with the, rela the relationship 
uh, between Neo and Smith, which when you watch the original trilogy or the, you know, the first three movies feels so front and center, right? Like feels like paramount to the, the, just the nature of the movie insofar as like, that is what the plot kind of evolves into, right? Where they break down by the third one, like, oh yeah, this whole thing is just because you're two halves of an equation that are trying to balance Mm -hmm. each other out. Right. And that's, and you know, it, 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 very literally constructs a binary to like give you a computer representation of like the struggle between good and evil or, or whatever. Um, and what I liked about this one is just with the Groff character, the way that they decided like on a couple levels, it's so fucking smart, but like namely just a, to get rid of the binary good and evil thing where they are sort of more of a, symbiotic set of characters in this right as opposed to like truly adversarial or something like that but also the fact that like if you're the neil patrick harris character right if you're the new architect or whatever of this version of the matrix that like if these are the two halves of the equation that totally messed up the first six versions or whatever right the best way to keep them in check would be to put them in some kind of a partnership as opposed to an adversarial binary relationship. Right. And so he traps both of them in this kind of toxic working relationship, um, <laughs> as opposed to, as opposed to fucking putting, making video games. Like, right, Jesus, right, right, how, right. How, how like, on the nose can it yeah, be? <laughs> yeah. And, and I also love just back to the Groff thing quickly, like this version of the character, I also just love that in like, you know, in 99, the version of the man that they wanted to depict was the FBI, was the government, government agents, things like that. And like in this, it's a Silicon Valley like bro. Right. Like and I just I just loved I don't know the way Lana was just able to kind of dovetail all of that stuff together. I was so just fascinated by and it's i think it's the it's that type of stuff that like makes this movie particularly like continually rewarding on on rewatch like um and speaking uh back to what you were mentioning esther just in terms of i think where they put a lot of the um of the trans forward elements are is specifically just in the whole trinity evolution and the way that character um, de- totally develops because, you know, in the first one, obviously as a trans allegory, you do have that final sort of coming out moment where you have Keanu Reeves in a headlock and he's like, my name is Neo. Right. And that's his final, mm-hmm. like, this is who I am. Like, shut your mouth. Um, whereas like they go, they like double down on it or triple down on it in this with, with Carrie Ann Moss specifically being like, I hate that name. Like, mm-hmm. like don't. And it's, it's, it's like a, uh, a like reclamation of identity. Uh, that just, and it's know. the name of a, of a brand that's associated with femininity, right? Like sure, there's so sure, much, yeah, it's yeah. like, so, you know, <clears throat> look, you know, an easy critique of all these movies, which I think is, you know, lazy, but, might as well bring it up is is you know look it's all very in your face all the references you know the ship's called nebuchadnezzar for god's sakes in the first one and you know and it's like all these things where it's like name is morpheus right like uh, you know morpheus and it's like all these things that obviously you know if you don't want to 
you know, you can, you know, he's reading, you know, in the, when the, when the woman with the tattoo and the guy, uh, in the first movie, invite uh, him to the club. So, sure. Should we take him with? Should we take? Should we take him with us? One of the best line reads. That guy. That guy. Love that guy. And um, he's like reading simulacrum, simulacrum, right? Like it's like the book is like you know, and all these things. It's like all these things. And look, I mean, this is. I I think I'll keep coming back to this thread. I I really do think you know, you know, if you like, if you love that first movie, right? What you're getting in its simplest form. Is some version of a very Christian, you know, mythos thing, right? Like, and I think obviously the Wachowskis intend far more than that. And that's what the continuation of the story gives you, right? Is like a very, um, you know, like my, my point is simply, I think to, to follow what their intentions are, Right. Goes so far beyond the end of that first movie where, you know, he's some version of Jesus Christ very, you know, clearly. But then, of course, immediately in that next movie, they meet they 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 within the first, you know, 10 minutes deconstruct it. Right. And it's like, oh, actually, he's not the one. Right. So I remember that being something that I think confused and bothered people. Right. In 03 is this thing of wait, but I thought he was. And then it's like. Well, actually, maybe he's not, or maybe we're wrong, right? And then, of course, Resurrections finally kind of gives you the answer, which is that he was never the one, right? What it was was this binary relationship between Trinity and Neo this whole time, right? That was the thing. That unlocked that, everything. That, that unlocked everything. And it was never just him, right? Which is so much more interesting to me than, like, a Jesus allegory, right? So I think it's like, in a way, it's funny how it's like... I can understand people just not wanting to take the journey because it's just, it's maybe um, to these people, which, you know, is like betraying is the wrong word, but complicating that first film. And I get it. I mean, you, you people, I mean, we know now more than ever, ugh, like that, you know, you fall in love with something, you, you, you hold it tight, you say that it's yours. Oh, you know, oh my God. And then all of a sudden, you know, people make things, you know, the makers make things that are, you know, critique it and you get mad because it's not the beautiful thing you thought it was, even though it's still there and you can watch the first Matrix and act like the sequels don't exist if you want to. Right. I mean, so I think it's interesting to talk about this stuff because it's so nice to see the story expand in 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 this way where now, you know, because you read about, right, you know, the switch character from the first movie, you're right, how the intention of that character was for you know, the character in the real world when in the Matrix, um, uh, I can't remember which way it went, right? But it was, you know, male in the real world, you know, female in the Matrix, what have you. And Warner Brothers said, uh, no, we can't do that, right? You know, they 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 put the kibosh on that. And, and I think it is nice to see how we've grown and obviously plenty of work to do, but that the story has gone to such a place where you can get into these really granule, granular levels of, you know, identity and all these things. It really feels, um, I don't know, it feels nice to watch. I kind of hope we get more, I, you know, who knows, but... But to me, more than anything, that was kind of the biggest highlight is like feeling like and not to mention just to even get more simpler. And I was like thinking about this. 
I do think that Keanu, I mean, this might be, I don't know if people agree with me, like the Keanu Reeves carrying Moss, you know, that chemistry, that Amazing. is like God, kind of sneakily, yeah. sneakily yeah. one of our great modern cinematic we, romances, yeah, actually. We like, I, we like, you know, I think so. Yeah, I would also, I don't know if we've really mentioned it. I think maybe we're all in agreement here. I know just because I've seen Esther, what you've posted on Twitter, I know you and I are in agreement that like, is this maybe what top three Keanu Reeves performances? Like legit? Like, I don't, you know, I mean. Yeah, he, I think he's incredible. He's um. so, <laughs> I, I think they're both great. Um, I think she has, I think, regrettably a little less to do. And I think that obviously is just a byproduct of like, like I mentioned, like we see his half of like the torture machine that's been invented well, for she, them. She, she, um, she doesn't have she doesn't have a lot of power in this film until towards the end, right? She's right, kind of right. it's very, she's yeah. kind of sleepwalking through yeah. it, and yeah. and he's kind of woken up about halfway through the film. Sure, sure, you know, or and, you and know, maybe maybe a quarter to, in. To that point, the whole which is another thing I loved is like the whole second half of the, the whole climax of the movie is about giving her agency, right? Like is about like, mm -hmm. Hey, like the crucial thing, the most crucial thing about all of this is that she has to it's, want it's to, consent to do this. Yeah, no. And it's, 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 I think really wonderful. And the way, I don't know, it's just like, and this is going to be reductive, but this was just like an observation that I had, uh, after watching it the second time. And I was like telling this to a friend of mine, I think I even put it on Twitter, but like I like clicked with me that I was like, oh, Lana Wachowski made a movie about like finding love in your 50s and all your friends help you. And like that and like it's just that's like one of the things that's at the heart of this movie. And it's just lovely. Like and I think. I don't know <laughs> that 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 she also somehow convinced like a room full of people like I know, obviously, like. She drags Warner Brothers, probably rightly so, with a huge portion of this movie, but also like good on Warner Brothers for being like, yeah, OK, like, um, sure, sure. Which, I, and, which uh, I think is like kind of fascinating. But um, but yeah, back just back to their chemistry, like I think that kind of really uh, crucial trademark Keanu kindness and maybe and just latent sadness, like. Re like those coffee shop scenes are like some of the most compelling scenes mm -hmm. uh, absolutely in the in the whole movie and i think well yeah i mean yeah and like the fact that she builds motorcycles is obviously a direct reference to keanu reeves who in real life builds motorcycles mm -hmm. right and then the line about the kids obviously hits close because of keanu reeves sad sure you know past and what have you and i think his line about not having kids you know you don't want to con you don't want to conflate you know characters with actors and these things that being said you know especially when you're dealing with a character like this who's so iconic and there's now four you know really four plus including you know the animatrix i guess but there there are these you know we have been with this character now 20 plus years there is a lot there and esther i'm, I'm curious what are other keanu performances that you put up there just out of out of curiosity just because I'm a big I'm a I'm a big lover of Keanu, but um I always would love to know what uh Yeah, God, I don't know. Um I, I think here he like he, I mean he's used really perfectly here because he's not he's not playing the Neo that, you know, uh from the original, 
and he's not playing the Neo from the sequels, which is a different thing entirely. Uh, I think he's really great, especially in these early scenes is playing, you know, this, you know, obviously any Reeves performance is going to have a little bit of that like gruff monotone, um, more and more gruff as he's gotten older. But I think it's really great that like he's, there is this like crushing sadness to him in that first like half hour. And then actually, you know, if I, if I could go back a little bit, um, to talking about the the trans stuff it's you know the 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 original matrix is i think a lot more it was always a lot like hairier when it came to that to that allegory than i think people give it credit for it was a little bit messier um it, it was more about like obviously there's this amazing moment of empowerment at the end with the my name is neo scene but it's very much like there's so much doubt after he's you know entered the real world and he's amongst all these people who are expecting things of him that he doesn't know if he can provide and he doesn't really think he is who they think he is. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Like there's, there's tension there that I think is kind of, you know, belied by the way that even people who talk about the movie in those terms kind of gloss over. And I think that's totally present in this movie, which is like, you know, if I want to talk about what I think the movie is like about, about, um, when you look at the way that like, uh trans stuff is a big political debate right now there's a lot of talk about you know a lot of fear-mongering about kid people who detransition and saying that oh they're they're pressuring kids into something and you know they're uh, making them you know do stuff and then they're gonna back out of it because it's not you know it's 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 uh you see it on you know conservative talk points all the time it's 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 so funny because like just just simply thinking about like influencing a kid to do anything that you want them to do is just so stupid like (laughs) like like have you ever have you ever been a kid like anything that people tell you to do you're like let me go do the opposite thing of that like you know (laughs) you know parents tell you don't don't do drugs and don't you know stay out late and don't don't drive fast and you're like okay how fast can this car go though you know yeah. like like you just <laughs> it's it's just so crazy that people yeah. go down that rabbit hole but it's it's interesting because you know the main there are people who detransition obviously but if you look at you know if you actually talk to people and you look at surveys and, and, and interviews like the main reason why most of those people do it is because the world around them made it impossible for them to keep like continue transition. Right. They were going to lose their job or their family was going to disown them or none of their friends wanted to talk to them anymore. And I think that that like sadness is really present in the beginning of this movie, which is about, you know, Neo and Trinity who have already had the revelation. They've already started, you know, living in the real world. And now they're just like, the world just forces them back into right into the matrix and into these lives that are even worse than they were, you know, before they uh, woke up in the original film. Like, in the original film, Neo at least has this double life that he's living, right? Like, he gets to be the hacker. He's a cool hacker. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah, and he's not. Like, it's all just miserable. And, like, it's part of the, like, it's it's dark enough to the point that, like, it's part of the backstory of this movie that he has tried to kill himself recently, literally. Yeah. Um, So there's just like this. As as James McTeague. Oh God! Is that James McTeague? Yeah, James McTeague is the is the guy no. that bugs me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, okay. can I tell you? Can I tell you the line that really cut me deep? Um, oh God, it cut me so deep. So, well, when even thinking about it, oh, shivers down my spine. When Trinity 
but she's in Tiffany form, goes to the guy at Simulate and is like, you know, I think I'll try a cortado today. And like the guy's like, you know, and he's like, ooh, going wild or whatever he says. I always get, uh, when I go to Starbucks, ugh, I get the cold, I get a cold brew always. And then like recently, because mm-hmm. it was winter, I like got a drink. I don't think it was, a, you know, it was some like fancier I don't even know, hot, like my brother-in-law got something. I was like, ooh, that sounds good. And I like ordered it. And I had that intonation in my voice when I ordered it. Like, ooh, something different, like spicing up the day. <laughs> and how sad is it? Like when, when she delivered that line, I was like, oh, I so relate to this moment. This is killing me. And I was like, <laughs> like, where is my Keanu Reeves? Can I talk to some handsome game designer who's actually the, the half messiah somewhere? Anyway, <laughs> uh, but mean, yeah, I think you know. Sorry, go ahead, God. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, who wouldn't want to run away with Keanu Reeves? Um, oh my God! Yeah, from from Chad Stiller. But some other, uh, but some other, um, some other good Keanu performances. Just because, obviously, me and Connor on the B side podcast, we have certainly sung the praises mm-hmm. of Keanu. Um, and, you know, I would just encourage people to seek out stuff like he's great in Parenthood. He was a younger actor then. He's great in even stuff like, I mean, even these are younger performances, but stuff like The River's Edge actually is really as a smaller movie, but he's quite good in Prince of Pennsylvania. These are actually, he's very young, all these movies. But, but even like something like A Walk in the Clouds is a period romance from, I think, 95. He's quite good in. And I always, I always, I find myself always kind of um, pushing against the narrative, which I guess now is not really that prevalent anymore because Esther, as you pointed out, you know, the like a lot of actors like him, the older and the gravelier and the sadder and the, the kind of the more lived in a, a lot of these movie stars get, the better they become as actors just because of life, right? I mean, I think you're seeing it, you know, you could, I mean, even Bradley Cooper, you know, this movie Nightmare Alley, which unfortunately not many people are seeing, I would argue that's an example of that, right? Of just as as years creep on people, um, you, Reese Witherspoon, I think is a great example. Like you can find more nuance in their performances. And I think Keanu is a great example. And even like, and I know people ridicule this movie, you know, but, but, but in a weird way, um, and I think... Twitter friend uh, V Fitzpatrick made a note of this. Apologies if I'm wrong on this. This this movie, The Lake House, he made with Sandra Bullock. He's like lovely in that movie. You know, that's like a romance where there's like a magic mailbox and they are living in two separate time periods. And I actually think it's like it's a little Matrix. I think it's Rexy. I think it's quite a. I think it's quite a. To it. Yeah, I think it's quite a nice movie. Actually, David Auburn writes a really good screenplay and and, and everything. But but um, point is, he's been really good. I think for a very long time. And obviously, people like their John Wicks and their Matrixes, but. There's so much out there in which he's doing such um, uh, special work that I that I, I I am now happy that in general it seems people are kind of going back with this you know new appreciation for what he's been able to kind of give to us for for now for like over thirty years you know so I think that's been nice to see um, and then yeah bringing it back to just because I don't think we can undersell this jessica henwick my god like you know i don't you you can't quantify or qualify 
whatever it is. But the moment Bugs is in the Matrix and that opening, you know, shot and that blue stripe is going through her hair, you all, I mean, I am like, who is this person and what is the next thing this person is going to be yeah. right like there is such there is such an star Im- shit like yeah, yeah. It, and it and it, yeah. it doesn't happen with everybody i mean you really can't take that type of stuff for granted and i really really truly think that's great casting that's great utilization of a new character esther as you said like um great name you know what i mean great great application of kind of where you use that character and we should mention Jada Pinkett Smith uh, reprises her role as Niobe, um, and they have a great little kind of back and forth because basically Niobe's become, mm-hmm. you know, the leader of the IO, her the former, new city. Yeah, her, her former lover in a in a way, right? The... I guess so. Yeah, she's meant to be like the general. What's what's that actor's name? He's so good. Um, from the original trilogy, oh, Harry Lennox. Harry Lennox, thank yeah. you. Yeah, she's meant to be like a smarter Harry Lennox, I think, right? Because Harry Lennox. Well, and I think that's yeah. another just to, because this is, I think, a really interesting part facet of the movie where it also gets another chance to like reckon with its legacy. Is on a rewatch, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'd be curious to know what you guys think, but like, on a rewatch, like, I, I like still like those sequels a lot, but I like kind of forgot how like militant they are <laughs> um specifically that third one but like oh yeah i well the, all, all the borrowing of the ships that they just they just like lose their shit as soon as like one of these precious ships is taken away from them <laughs> and i i guess i i mean i understand it from the story standpoint of like look they're they're a resistance fighting a war and they're like literally their existence is at stake so i I get it. It was, it was just kind of a general vibe that I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Um, but I found it even more interesting that like Lana chose to take that into question, right? Like, right. Criticize the, the decision making. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to literally be like, Hey, look, like, you know, it makes perfect sense. Cause when people grow up in war, like, and all they know is war, that's like all they know how to do, you know? And like, and so it's, well, it's, it, a, that's, that's the downfall of Morpheus, right? Right, right. Well, so here's an interesting thing. I'm going to get kind of nerdy on you guys for two seconds. But like oh. I was because I was looking this up. So apparently like Orpheus, it's like Orpheus. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like, kidding. OK, so after the Matrix Revolutions came out, the Wachowskis made a second game, right? Because they made Enter the Matrix, mm-hmm. which coincides with the two sequels, right? And then they made The Matrix Online, which was like an online multiplayer game and whatever, but it had its own running through line story in it. And in that and because it was written and created by the the Wachowskis, it's canon to to a degree. Right. Dude, Sam Sam Mecca was telling me all about okay. this before the movie so, started. Yes. So apparently then. So maybe, Dan, you can correct me if I get anything wrong here, but apparently morpheus dies in that yes. game right yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yes. voice voice by lawrence Fishburne, right so it I'm is like mistaken. definitely a part of the universe but i guess the 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 person who kills him because there's a bounty on his head right and so i guess the character that kills him is one of the exiles but since the exiles can kind of manifest themselves however they want 
it's like a fucking giant bug or something like that that like kills him, I guess, which I I don't know. Anyway, I was like reading about it because I was like when my wife and I finished watching Revolutions, I thought to myself like, oh, like he's clearly not in the new one. So he must die. But like, I wonder how that happens. And I like looked it up and I found that. And I just thought that was really fucking weird. So I <laughs> was wondering watching this movie because they ne- they don't talk about it, obviously. But I was wondering, like, is so is that canon? Like, did he just get killed? Well, I mean, a giant bug program. <laughs> well, so, I mean, they do establish right in this movie that in the real world, 60 years has gone by. Right. right? So he could have just died. For whether or not you care about the video game. Yeah. Um, he is dead because it's been too long, right? And right. Niobe would be is very like old, 90. right? Because right? if you think what Jade is playing, whatever twenty five or something in that original or you know those original sequels, you know she's now you know eighty five or something, and um, so obviously Harry Lennox and all these people have yeah. since passed. Um, I was a little, I would have liked a little uh, Susone of Harold Pierre now would have been nice, but it's okay. It's all right. You know, we don't, we don't need him, but you know, he is missed. He is missed. Um, but I, will um, say, I want, I, because we're all po- basically positive on this. I do want to pick a couple nits if that's okay. Um, totally. Absolutely. I, is I this do... when, is this when we talk about the action? Yeah, I think it is. I think it <laughs> the is. action is worse. It is. And, oh, and here's the thing. I, it is worse. I it didn't really bother me. The lighting is, and I don't want to be a the cinematography guy, but John they couldn't get John Toll. He was busy. Well, they and... had John Toll, and then he left. Wait, wait. Yeah. Uh, why aren't we talking about Bill Pope? Oh uh, well, it's it's a different cinematographer altogether, right? Well, yeah. no, but didn't am I wrong? John Toll shot. Did he not shoot the first three? No, no, no. Toll? Bill Pope Bill Pope shot the first three and John oh. Toll shot a portion of this one and had to leave the production because of I think COVID health reasons. Oh, something. interesting. Okay. Because John Toll shot he has he has lensed their recent work. Yes. Like Cloud correct. Atlas and correct. Okay, so that's which my that's kinda, my mistake. Which you can kind of see in parts of this. Like it does it does resemble. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So, and then, and so John Toll had to leave and was replaced by his second in command, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I want to actually, I want to get her name. Hang on. It's Daniela something, I believe. Um, I got well, it here. One, one, one other thing to quickly mention as well is that Lana Daniela actually. Daniela Masa Keshi. Masa no, Masakesi. Masa I'm going to say Masakesi. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, but Lana decided, I guess, during production that she didn't want there to be a traditional second unit and just to film everything herself, which is. Uh, ooh. So okay. I, I, no, I, I am okay with that. I mean, that that's, what, that's what Nolan does. I yeah. Mean, you know. I'm okay with that decision. I think my main thing, and this, it's not just with the action, but I think it's an overall, I think, editing choice i like first off i like that this movie looks different i think that's a Mm -hmm. smart choice obviously because there's the reset of the matrix itself i also like that it looks like a commercial because i like that it is seemingly designed to be a place that you would be okay with living in you know like Mm -hmm. 
um, as opposed to this sickly green. Your, like, your point being like they improved upon. Ex- exactly. The, exactly. Yeah, that's like, I, and I, I wish it I wish it looked more interesting, though. But I guess your point is is well said where now, it's like now granted that maybe there's bit, less character to the frames, but like almost on purpose because it's meant to be like a right, car commercial. Now, exactly. Now, granted, yeah. I have not read anything to that effect. Or anything, right? So that is. I mean, me. it's clear as day, though. Yeah, right? that I mean, that that is so. me just sort of taking my own sort of. You know, I'm trying to kind of couch it and defend it a little bit, if I'm being honest. But that's an aesthetic decision that I think is good. What I don't love, particularly with the action scenes, isn't even so much how they're staged. It's it's how they're cut, and I think specifically for a franchise whose action scenes especially when you watch them in the face of action scenes in movies today, maybe maybe action movies that aren't John Wick, which obviously heavily stems from these movies. Right. But like it, I just, I could have stood for like a few more holding on wides while some chaos unfolded a little bit. And I think it became clear to me that like, and I don't want to, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth because I don't, I don't think Lana necessarily went about it this way. It just seemed like she wasn't interested in making an action movie. And I think that's, well, I think that's okay. Yeah. I I just, I I just think that like, if, if that's the case, I almost weirdly would have preferred there been no action. (laughs) Like, well, well, and to to this point, and, and once again, we are, you know, this is theorizing, but like, you know, the 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 quote unquote new bullet time, which obviously is the they're making light of in kind of the Matrix Four discussions in the movie, right? And then of course in the movie, it's this very self-effacing, self-critical, like not self-critical, but a very literal fuck you to bullet time in which you have the analyst, Neil Patrick Harris, literally being like, well, you know what I'm just going to do? I'm just going to slow everything down so I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like, how about we just like dispense with the bullshit and mm-hmm. quite literally stopping the movie. And, you know, I feel like that's a lot of Wachowski in, in the most baller way ever being like, oh, you guys like bullet time. What if I just did nothing? And then like, and the guy who's the creator just walked around and you know fucked with the two heroes, right? And Which is, I mean, I, yeah. I would enc- I would encourage. Um, there is a there are interviews going around with the uh, with the co DP uh, talking about the stereo rig that they used uh, to create that effect, and it is really cool. It's you know, oh no, but it's, it, it's but it's like, but it's a clever. F you, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you no, know, no, no. it's it's very well, it's, it's agreed, it's, but it's I, also it's also a great way for an expository dump, right? Yeah. Like like that is that is a uh what a three, four minute sequence where basically Neil Patrick Harris talks the entire time. And and there's no there's no like back and, and forth. It, and right? it's true, <laughs> and it's frankly, I mean, it's true to character, right? Like if he is the architect, right? If he's that, mm-hmm. like that, that's what, that's what those people love doing. They just love, you know, monologuing about the thing that they built and why they built it that way. Um, I do, you know, and I think, you know, this is easy criticism once again, but it's there, which is to say this movie, like 
most movies that deal with omniscience, right? There is a God problem, which is to say, you know, if you have a character in a film who is omniscient to some degree and all controlling, you know, your your ways around that character's ability just to end things, I I feel will will mostly always read as sweaty because you have to, you know, get around the fact that this is a, some sort of godhead, you know, character. So so making the analyst in this case compulsory with his own downfall because of this bonded relationship binary thing that has made the matrix better, you know, as long as they don't ever you know, consummate their feelings, Trinity and Neo. It, it's it's a it's a little stretchy, but also I would dare anyone to figure out a better way to do it. I don't know. Like as I, I was watching it, I was kind of like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair point, but I do think at the very least this franchise does have the nice fallback of the symbiotic relationship, right? Because it's like, oh well, like at least in this specific movie, right? Like goes out of its way, kind of as you mentioned, Bill, because it, it literally talks about it at length in that one scene, but like goes out of its way to tell you that this is for the machines, the most productive version of the matrix that has ever existed. Right. Mm-hmm. So to, to do anything to dismantle that by getting rid of Neo and Trinity and pulling the plug on them, as it were, like, would severely would be a severe detriment to what the machines need, especially now that there is a seeming and this is one of those things that they kind of gloss over, which is one of the it's one of the reasons I would almost love for them to do like a second edition of the Animatrix or something just to like fill in the narrative. That'd be cool. I would I would love to watch it. But like you get the sense from this movie that they are you know, they're the machines began fighting amongst themselves because people were leaving the matrix. Right. Uh, yeah. And they were running mind, out of resources. Minds were being freed. So they were running out of resources and energy and Neil Patrick Harris seemingly solved all those problems by bringing Neo and Trinity back and generating higher amounts of energy than they had ever seen. So like by setting the stage that way, like I think they do have a, li- a little bit of a nice leg to stand on insofar as, answering that question which is like oh why doesn't he just kill them or get rid of them and it's like oh well because he needs them right and there's no current other alternative um but i mean they they say he says um basically that you know when they're talking about why hasn't he killed trinity already after neo escapes he says it's because you know he is just fully expecting that he's going to be able to get neo to come back correct Yeah, yeah um and it's not until like the moment that it's very clear that it's failed and Trinity is completely awoken now that uh, that he everything goes sideways. And I also liked how they dealt with like someone someone DM me today because people have been DMing me asking me to clarify plot points in this movie. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, someone you're was Twitter's like, well, why didn't he just expert now on uh, Matrix yeah. Resurrections? <laughs> someone was like, well, why didn't he just you know use the bullet time the whole time to you know at the end to control them? And the answer is because. It just doesn't work on Smith, and Smith comes out and starts beating him up. Um, and that's why that's another reason I like the use of Smith here as just like a, as like a wild, excuse me, as like a wild card basically. Right. Like he is just completely a deus, unpredictable. A, a yeah. Deus ex machina, right? 
kind, kind, of, kind of yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's, but it is what I, again, what I like about it is it's a way that's still true to character in that that's, that's literally how the previous three movies evolved, right? Like yep. Smith became unlocked and then became this sort of thing. Virus. Yeah. It became this thing in the background that was a looming problem. And then literally not, not unlike in this movie, like literally becomes part of the solution, right? Because it gives... I mean, it's a little bit different, obviously, but like in that movie, it gives Neo the the bargaining chip or, or whatever. Um, but yeah. why can I ask? This is more just context. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of you, maybe one of you lovely people know. But why why is it that Smith is even here in this movie? Because like is he not eradicated Matrix. in the revolu- in revolutions? Well, he. Is I isn't that like the deal that is struck betwixt well the ba- baby god ma- machine <laughs> yeah. and Neo, um, which to this day I just have to say I always do the the it's done it is done when I like yeah. when I like finish a task you know or something and I cross it off I'm always like it's done um anyway continue <laughs> no I I mean my, go, ahead. The, go ahead the impression that I got was that um. You know, they obviously they reconstructed Trinity, right? Because they realized that it was the by keeping them very close and putting them in this place where they were just constantly yearning for each other and always suffering because they couldn't have each other, that that was what generated energy. So the kind of implication I got is that they basically did the same thing for Smith. Uh. Um, they put him in this position again, like like you know you talked about earlier. Where, like, oh, interesting. They are in a partnership, but it is definitely kind of like they clash. It's antagonistic, right. and it's for the same reason. Like I don't think they're they're not getting any energy from Smith, obviously, because he's a program. But it's one more thing that's like kind of poking at neo interesting okay okay yes Um, yes. and it backfires because like smith has the same arc as neo kind of throughout the first three movies he just wants to be free Mm -hmm. um and not have you know this control imposed on him and ultimately it's the reason why he and neo become unlikely allies in this movie it's because they are both fighting against the same thing for once yeah okay good thank you that was perfect okay all right great yeah that makes makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense I want to I want to mention a couple of things because we kind of started down this path originally and kind of have have gotten further away from it. But um, I want to say that besides the highway sequence in the second film Mm -hmm. and besides a few other standout sequences here and there, I think all the Agent Smith stuff, all the fights in the second and third film and a lot of the other action set pieces, I completely forgot about this third film's like upside down hallway fight. That's oh, just the nightclub outside the nightclub. It, it's yeah. just bad. It's oh, just so I bad. I agree. I, I, and, I disagree. And, but so, oh man, where am I gonna fall? I think I, 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 I think I agree with. I think I'll be on Connor's side, and we can split uh, two, two, two. But. I just want to say that, like, all the stuff inside of, um, what is it, inside of Zion is really quite good. I think, I think a lot of those sequences are, are pretty bombastic and pretty, pretty special. Um, but that's all to say that, like, I don't think the second and third have the same level of action choreography and, 
uh, you know, stunts that the first one really does. Like the first one just has so many standout, absolute like gangbuster sequences that when people are like, yeah, the, the sequences in this film just aren't very good. And I'm like, did, did we forget that like the second and third don't don't exactly like hold that water either? Can I like, offer? I, think, I don't know. Can I offer a counter? I think the second one has. A, anyway, go ahead, Connor. No, I was. I mean, we might say the same thing. I think the bit, the thing in my recent rewatch, the thing that I noticed, particularly with the second and third one, mo- more so the second one because it's got that. Uh, the the burly brawl, right? The hundred Smith fight in the park. Is yeah. like, I think it. Now here's the thing. I think the thing people get hung up on, and and rightly so. Like I don't know if it's you know, I I can't necessarily defend it. I think they get a little in the weeds with what they're trying to achieve with the technology at the time, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a fair criticism. That said, I don't know. I've watched a ton of MCU movies and a bunch of them don't look that much better than stuff that was done in 2003 at this point. So totally agree. So that would be my one counterpoint to that is like, for some reason we like just have gotten okay with it with other movies, but we remember this one movie that actually did it in kind of an ahead of its time inventive way. And we sort of poo poo it a little bit. I don't know about that, but that said, Aside from that, I also think like the way those piece, some of those pieces are visualized are like amazing, like just so imaginative, like, okay, he's going to pull the pole out of the ground and he's going to put the pole on it and then he's going to run around in a circle and kick all of them while he runs around. And like, it's cartoonish and silly, but it's like also really fun and like knows what it is. I think like, like that sequence in particular ends with a bunch of Smiths getting knocked over and there's a bowling pin noise. (laughs) And and I think it's just, it's like an indication of like, Hey, in case you didn't know if we knew what we were doing, we know what we're doing. Right. Well, and also just to your point, you know, we're going to make speed racer in five years and do this times 40. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. You know, and, and people will hate it. And then now people will see it for what it is, which is like quite masterful. Right. And I think, you know, that I mean, that's action stuff and, and what have you. And I think I would agree with revolutions in the sense that I think in revolutions, you're running into maybe kind of what we're saying about here in Resurrections, which is the action seems quite secondary to the themes, you know, and I think that's maybe in the case of revolutions, the Wachowskis kind of, you know, you know, this is once again you know, totally my theory, but making reloaded for the fans, you know, and making revolutions for themselves. Right. Like it's kind of like, (laughs) I think let's, let's front load this thing and then we'll sneak in all of the, you know, all of the themes that we're actually interested in into this third one. Yeah. And to the point where they seemingly in that movie, they build up to the only action set piece that matters to them. Right. Which is this like very anime infused operatic, good versus evil culmination of these two characters that that you know that that movie ends on but i think the difference in this movie is that is is just the way everything's kind of staged like i will say once once the bots started like throwing themselves out windows mm-hmm. and stuff that was maybe one of the first action bits in the movie where i was like this rules i was like this is crazy and i love it um but in terms of the way the fights play out, they feel 
and it kind the train one kind of bummed me out the most because when that sequence gets introduced and they go through the portal and they're on the train and you get that wonderful lush sort of view of, you know, Mount Fuji and all that. I was like, you don't even uh, see Wolverine, which is like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, you know, I got, I got kind of excited because I was like, oh, a a Kung Fu slash gunfight on a bullet train outside Tokyo feels like a perfect matrix set piece. Right. Um, And it just, I think it's that, all of the characters are also all constantly together. It's sort of like a weird version of like the Goonies or something where they're like all kind of, you know, it's like a band of people <laughs> walking through this movie together. And I think that does convolute the action a little bit in that you're forced to really do everything all at once. And I think even after that sequence, when they get into I'm, I might be misremembering now, do they go to Paris after the Tokyo sequence. I think so. Right. Well, when they so when they get to the Paris sequence and there is that sort of hunchback of Notre Dame esque uh, sequence that they have with the Merovingian, which I liked quite a bit. I realized like, oh, I almost wish all of this wasn't happening at once. Like, I kind of wish that they gave uh, and I'm trying to think of his name, the actor who plays the Merovingian. Um uh, uh, Lambert Wilson, Wilson. Son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When he has his moment, I kind of wish like they gave him a moment to do all the things he was doing. Cause I, you know, instead the, of, instead of saying that while everybody else is, is fighting, is having these, these weird little chaotic, yeah, these chaotic fights. And I think all of it, that said, I think all of it does seem to be done more practically than it was in the other two sequels, which is commendable. Do you think they asked Monica Bellucci to come back and she said, no, what do you guys think? Oh, that's a good question. I think I think really what we're supposed to see there is that the Merovingian is is brought brought what is it to bear? What, what, brought yeah yeah yeah. No, I don't low? I don't even mean Monica Bellucci is like with him in that scene. I just mean like another moment where maybe Bellucci is like living a high life of an exile somewhere well, else. Yeah, or something. while he's like falling into is is she in exile? She well, is. no, I mean, I, clearly she, she, but she is. Yeah. She, she, well, well, or not existent, though. Right. Because exiles, right, were meant to be erased or whatever. But oh, somehow weren't. As of, right. As of you mean, as of this, the time, like really a, according around. to Resurrections, Monica Bellucci is no is no more, sure, probably, sure. because because yeah. those who those who still exist I, somehow survived. Or all, whatever. all I'm saying with that stuff is I think I do think the stuff he's spouting in that scene, it's funny and he feels like the perfect character to be giving those things of like, oh, things used to be better before. Right. Like and obviously mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. another meta thing that the movie's like working in. Um, I but I wish they actually maybe a little more patiently like laid it out bef- maybe before that fight breaks out or something like that. Um yeah. But again, all that, I think it 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 feels secondary. And so it doesn't to me has has not really hindered any viewing of the movie. The other thing that I would say that I would just nitpick. And again, this doesn't really hinder the movie for me either. This is more just like a formalist thing, I guess. The intercutting of bits from the other movies, like the quick cuts um the flashback stuff. Yeah, yeah when they when they started doing that when he's still trapped in the matrix 
I was okay with because I just assumed that was the visualization of his mind, like, you know, mm-hmm. figuring it Remembering. out. Or, yeah, repressed memories or whatever. But it happens a couple times after that. And that just, I kind of, again, this is, it didn't really bother me. I was just sort of like, oh, that's not a thing any of the other movies did. Like, so that was just, a, I think, a f- formalist continuity thing that like bugged me a bit. But again, Outside everything else, like I think the Tom Tequer score is really good and like really moves like I think it fits this version of the movie, which or of like this version, this movie, I should say, just specifically, because like one of the things that I think is the best about this movie is how contained it is like and how simple the objective and the narrative is, especially after like the bombastic high of reloaded into revolutions. You know, I think making a slightly more like tranquil contained movie um, with, you know, with still high stakes, nonetheless, I was really, I don't know. I really appreciate it um, as a means of kind of like buttoning it all up. But Esther, I was going to ask Esther, do you you have any uh, nits to pick or, 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 have we covered? Yeah, I mean, you know, the action, like I saw it first on a like big IMAX screen and the action, especially the trains uh, scene and the uh, the fight with the exiles um, on the big, big screen. I think it was harder for me to like make out what was going on sure. just because it's very like she shoots it very close up a lot of the time, yeah. um, which again, you know, I think it's a good point that like this is very much a movie just about Neo and Trinity. Um, and their relationship, the whole emotional, the whole stakes of the movie are entirely emotional. Yep. It's just about these two. So I think it's interesting to like, in all of these action scenes, it's not really about the action. It's all about getting close in on these people. I will say that when I rewatched it on my laptop screen, all of it, like, I felt read a lot better and cleaner. I think that the, interesting. like, the, the chase scene at the end is among the best action set pieces in any of these movies. Agreed. I think it's great. Yeah. When they fly off the motorcycle, like through the three cars yeah. that are exploding. It's just amazing. Um, if I have like one major nitpick, it's probably about the, the, the IO stuff. I love the Synthians. I think Sabebe is adorable. And I would oh, buy yeah. a big plush of that <laughs> robot bug like right now if i could <laughs> but i do think that a lot of the io stuff is like it's a little rushed um in much in the same way that like in reloaded i felt like the zion stuff kind of doesn't get as fleshed out as it probably should mm-hmm. um which is gets to a problem in revolutions when you have like half half the one thing that i just can't have never been able to get on board with in these movies is the zion battle in revolutions it goes on for so long and you don't know any of the characters and i Every time I rewatch that movie, I want it to work for me, and it never does. That's a good. Um, that's a. I. Yeah. I. I'll be honest. I ignore that exact. You're right. I ignore that exact huge, thing. Yeah, because a huge problem. You're. You're right about that. That's true. A that's huge true. problem too is a ton of it hinges on the kid character. That yeah. If you have that, if you haven't seen the animatrix, yeah, it, it doesn't like work. You, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like which, which again, like I think that speaks a little bit more to like. Um, and somebody, somebody wrote about this recently, actually, like a, like a sort of look back into 2003 and what they were attempting just from like a multimedia blitz with those movies, um, where like you could, I guess, argue that like it was always the intention for someone to consume all of those things to get the whole story. So 
if it doesn't work without them, it's because it's not supposed to, which I mean, that's, I suppose you could, but it's argue. no different. It's, I mean, but it is no different. It's like than a Marvel like, thing. It's like whatever a, the yeah. thing with star Wars were, when you played Fortnite, you read, sure. Some, I yeah, don't yeah, even remember what that like, thing was. It's like, but... no, no, no. Yeah. It's oh, like Jesus. very similar. Right? Wasn't yeah. it like you heard Darth Sidious say, yes, yes. Sabebe or something. Before. <laughs> also, anytime, anytime they said the name Sabebe, I kept thinking of Moira from Schitt's Creek saying baby. I also do want to just while we're talking granular stuff, uh, Jessica Henwick's uh, outfit generally loved because when I was rewatching the first three, I was like, why is no one wearing like fucking Under Armour? Like if your day in, day out of like being in the Matrix involves like running a lot and like trying not to get shot like you'd at least have some kind of athletic wear on right as opposed well, to like hold leather on, hold on hold on hold on hold on are, are <laughs> we forgetting what the matrix is there is no air to even breathe what are we talking so, about so, like, well, so like leather is leather you is wear, you can wear leather because you can move as fast Absolute as you want fucking, sure yeah sure. Fuck and, yeah. and that's and that's a fair argument i am just saying i want to look the way that i want to look <laughs> and be awesome hey, like look, i fuck, yeah, maybe fuck reality bugs, maybe bugs is just a big athletic yeah just person. like she likes all, her all i'm saying fabletics or whatever it caught my because I was like, oh, that's a practical choice. I like that. Like, you know, it it, it felt like it felt like she was that, one of the first characters. I will say, I will say, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's glasses. My God, I love them so much. I wanted oh, to the, uh, blue, the blue ones. Oh, oh, yes. I have a pair. <laughs> my, I, have my, a pair uh, I have a pair of light blues uh, Warbies that are not uh-huh. even remotely as cool. And I could, ne- I never would have the gumption <laughs> to even attempt to pull off. Uh, glasses that are that blue but god bless man he like and even they do the ot they do the ots on keanu right over uh over neil patrick's uh shoulder and you get that little you get that little lens flare of blue off the glasses (laughs) brilliant love that choice love that choice I, I love I love that sequence because my uh, my mother in law who is watching it with us, she she came in I think not having seen the second and third and was just like fuck it like we're all watching this together so I'm I'm just gonna sit down and watch it and have a bunch of questions midway through. But bless uh, her, bless her. <laughs> it was so funny because she was watching that sequence and she goes, "Wasn't his glasses blue?" And we were like. No, they're they're still blue. <laughs> they just had shot it from a different angle, so it's just not as prominent. And she was just like, "Wait, am I missing something?" And we were like, "No, no, no, no nothing weird has but happened." She was yet. Hin- she was hinging on like every little detail at that point. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. She, she was, was like, locked oh. in, locked in. <laughs> That's funny. Um, should we do? Do you want to do final kind of thoughts yeah, yeah, on can, on these I mean, on this movie? Big of sweeping ours? things we haven't covered, but I I know we kind of w- did it in a little weird order. But I feel like we covered a lot of the big stretches. Um, so yeah, I guess Esther, any kind of final thoughts before we wrap up here on on things we haven't covered? Yeah, I mean, you know, I there I could go off on every scene from this movie but yeah I, I'll, I'll spare you all I, I yeah I, I adored it and like I said at the beginning I was a mark for this like from the beginning there was basically no way I was going to dislike yeah, this but I, it totally like 
met or exceeded my expectations. I'm right there. I'm right I'm there. With, I'm right there with you. I think for me, there was a level of, and maybe you feel the same way, but just like, as long as it, I could have, it could have been any movie. And as long as it felt like the movie Lana Wachowski wanted to make, I was going to love it on some, totally. on, on some level. Yeah. So. And, and I, and just kind of expanding, I just kind of realized watching this one and this is kind of Esther, when you were saying the thing about revolutions where like, I'm like willfully ignoring what you're saying, which is, I agree with about that se- that, that sequence in revolutions is that I just, I'm, I really buy into this world and these characters and these storylines. And I was like, and I knew that already, but watching resurrections, I was like, oh wow. I'm like, just really locked in. Like there's a, there's a few franchises that I'm, that I'm just kind of wholesale, like, yeah, like let's just go right. Like Indiana Jones, back to the future. This is, you're going to, people are going to laugh at me. The, the Riddick movies, I love a lot. Um, and, um, and oh, the, no, there's there's definitely like a, oh, don't like even, a soft I can't spot. even get into yeah. how much I love the Riddick movies. It's embarrassing. <laughs> um, I own them all. I've seen the animated shorts. It's like sad. Oh, but wow. anyway, okay. Yeah, all I right. do. I like them a lot. But anyway, um, and then these, and then the Matrix movies, like truly, like, uh, you know, like I was watching it, like, oh, yeah, you know what? They could just make. I would do whatever. And I would just be like, ah, good to be back. You're like, yeah, oh, right, new city. Right. Yeah. I, oh, cool. You make another one. The next one I'm in, I'm, you know, Niobe, what's up? Like, I would just, like, I just, I, I didn't, I forgot how kind of locked in I was into this world. And it was pleasant. I'll be honest. It was pleasant to be reminded. Um, and I've seen it twice. I'm sure I'll watch it again soon and just kind of have the same thought for sure. So, yeah, I mean, nothing, I feel like we did cover a lot. There's nothing we missed. I think for me, Groff and Henwick are the, the huge standouts in terms of kind of new, you know, performers and characters. Um, I think they're, but I think everybody is obviously incredible, you know, and, and obviously the casting, you, Hey, you get, you get a, you get a little moment of Richie and a nice oh, moment. I could have used, I could have used a song. <laughs> I love the little reach. I could have used who's a having song. a moment 20, right now with yellow jackets. Of, of Richie. I needed like 25% more Richie in the movie. No, Papa reach. Um, you like that. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then like and then like three frames of Hugo weaving when he's looking in the mirror is kind of nice and and uh, and all that. So um, anyway, Bill, I'll throw it to you. But yeah, I can't I can't recommend this one enough. I really liked it. I I don't know if I recommend this to be honest with you. Um, I think I think people have to come in with kind of expectations being a little bit low. Um, I think it's fair to say that all of us went in with expectations being a little low. And uh, I think that serves as a good place to come at this film from and not having expectations high, because I think this film is definitely different. Um, I've never felt more on my heels in a movie that I like willingly am participating in than the first like 30 40 minutes of this film it just kind of hits you and hits you and hits you with all of this metatextual stuff that you're like oh 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 we're fucking doing this okay all right you know um and it just kind of kept me off guard uh for quite a quite a bit it's not that i wasn't uh okay with it it was just i wasn't expecting it in so many different ways um and so I think people are going to 
come at this film from bad angles and being like, ah, fuck this movie. Like, I'm just going to watch it. Yeah, this movie fucking sucks. Like, it's stupid. And so I think I think recommending it as a as like a wide piece of entertainment, probably not the best. Um, I think for a lot of people that are willing to play a game with this, it is like definitely something that's a little bit more of you know on the edge a little bit more different and i think it's really rewarding in that way um i will say that i am you know a a very big proponent of being two hours or less and this film i could have used maybe 20 minutes more of it to be honest with you i uh i enjoyed being back in this world so much um so yeah, I, I I definitely echo a lot of what uh, DJ said. Um, <laughs> in that, you know, like it's it's just it's so fun to be back in this world. It really is. I never thought coming into this that I would willingly sign up for a fifth if there is a fifth, and I don't know what they do with it. But you know, I, I mentioned it at the top that I didn't understand how how they could take a third film and with that kind of final ending and then ramp it into a fourth. And I think they do a really good job of it and they don't strain reality that much in saying like, Oh, did you really think like the peace between humans and machines was going to last? Like, no, come on. So, you know, there, there's definitely a reason for this film to exist in that way. And so I don't think it breaks anything. And I think in, in a way that like is, is kind of beautiful. This makes the second and third film better to me. Sure. Now, granted, I haven't seen the, the animatrix since it came out and I was probably 17 when it came out so you know take it with what you will uh i don't remember those at all i remember not liking them um to be quite honest and so i definitely need to see what is it it's the first and second sequence that a lot of people are like you need to watch that to really understand like two and three yeah i think there's like two that are directly connected yeah there's and then there's there's like the two-parter in it that sets up everything Right. That's like about mm-hmm. about the, the how, creation, how this all came to be. And then, yeah, there are two specific shorts, which are the kids, a kid story or it's just kid story. And then the final flight of the Osiris. That's which the are the that two I remember. That, oh, yeah, that, yes, I remember that one. Yeah. Those are the two that like directly. And didn't they didn't. Really am I wrong on this con? Did they not hire different animators for and different yeah, animation yeah, styles each, for each, each one, one of them? done by like a different. I mean, that's the cool. I mean, that is people don't talk about that enough. That's the yeah. cool shit that they for each one of those stories. There's like different unique animation styles i mean that's awesome mm-hmm. I, I will mm-hmm. say that's like a really cool thing they did um and let me just say just bringing up the fifth one it would be cool if they went full frank herbert and it was like god emperor of dune or whatever where it's like or even children do any any of the dunes really sequels where it's like okay now neo and trinity are the creators and because of their power have to become the villains in some capacity right where like mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. By by asserting control, right, and that idea of absolute power corrupting and what have you, they 
are now fighting the realization that they will have to make decisions that will ultimately villainize them to some. That would be cool, right? Like some version of, you know, I don't know how you sell that to Warner Brothers, but I guess Warner Brothers, I mean, it would depend on a lot of things, but yeah. I was just reading about this before we kind of all jumped on, but like, um, that the CEO of Warner Brothers had basically, which, you know, obviously this is an obvious response, but sort of kind of weirdly surprising had said that, like, despite how this movie turns out financially, which obviously as of right now doesn't seem like amazing, um, that if they, they had said that if Lana wants to do one, they would just do it. They would just like go for it. So, like. I think that's where I land on it. Like, and I think they know where, as, the, which way their bread is buttered, man. This is the world of content. Like, people can. I mean, this is. The, I, I want to go to the, down this rabbit hole, but like, there's a short sightedness to like these things that I find aggravating. First of all, it's not actually doing as bad as people are saying. So let's just say that. And then, second of all, and this is the sadder part of it, you know, these initial receipts. I do think, in the long term, matter a little less. And the case point is HBO Max's model, right? Which is to say like, now granted, I've seen the streaming numbers maybe aren't as high as they want. And that would maybe be disconcerting for, you know, the Warner Brothers. But when you're playing the longer game and obviously knowing that we're not out of the pandemic at all, and we are going to be fighting this, you know, these weird box office numbers for you know, the foreseeable few, I mean, definitely into 2022. I don't blame them for, I mean, Dune, lest we forget, it didn't, Dune, it's not like Dune, you know, performed amazingly, right? It did what it needed to do. And I think if you gave, you know, it, it, Warner Brothers wanted any excuse to to have to make another one because, you know, that's the business that they're in, right? Is this kind of you know, co- continuing content, right? Like, and hey, like Jonathan Groff mm-hmm. said in the movie, you know, stories <laughs> keep going, you know, I just I, I, keep I, going. I wanna, I wanna ask one thing and kind of mention one thing. I was, I was listening to uh, the Ringer's Big Picture podcast, and they were talking about kind of this weird spot we're in 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 streaming and in culture where the first second third and fourth of this films right all all four of these and i think i don't know where the animatrix is right now and i've heard that in the past it was kind of hard to get a hold of but regardless one two three and four are all streaming on the same service right now and yeah so so is the animatrix and the matrix awesome and so yeah it's this weird thing where and we were kind of talking about it briefly, but like, do we need to consume one, two, three to then see four to understand it? And like, what do we make of this weird world where we live in where like it's easy to get these and it's easy to consume these? So it's almost like you don't really have an excuse not to watch one, two, three and four. Well, that's yeah, what they, that that's was what what they weird, want. I mean, right? That's what they want. Yeah, and that was a weird, frankly, thing I saw going around when some of the first reactions were coming out. Like people's reactions to the reactions, like asking, like, "Oh, do I need to like see the other two? And I'm like, "Well, I don't know. It is the Matrix Four, so probably." Yeah, like, it, it, it just feels it, like it feels the default weird. answer should be yes. Like, yeah, you know, and, like, and what is what is that, that always gets me? I always it's always funny when people are like, "What." 
which ones of these do like should I watch? What order should I watch them in? The answer is pretty much always like, well, they made all of them, so you should probably watch all of them. And they made them in an order, and you should probably just watch (laughs) them in that order. (laughs) I I think too. I think I think. The MCU really kind of fucked all that up. Like, I think that's a huge culprit in this. Well, yeah, because totally, you can yeah. like pinpoint the yeah. ones that are necessary right, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's one big thing in this. And then obviously then spiraling into like, you know, even other franchises. Right. I mean, but do I need to watch Ant-Man movies. and the Wasp before I watch the right, Matrix right, Resurrections? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the other thing the only other instance I could see that maybe being a valid question is if like, you're talking about like a horror franchise, right? Like, sure, you know, sure. uh, I mean, I mentioned new nightmare earlier, right. But just for the sake of argument, like you don't need to see all of the nightmare movies that are made before that, other than maybe the first one. And then probably, you know, yeah, the yeah, first one definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just to grasp what's going on there. So I suppose that's a little different, but it's like, Generally speaking, yeah, I don't know. It, are all of them like are, it's are only all, four? Are like, all of the the nightmare films by Wes Craven? No, he didn't direct. No, them. so that was one of those things. Not dissimilarly from this movie, it was like he he came back to it on the condition that he could kind of do. Yeah, it's 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 one yeah. of those things where it's just like, look, if if the creator or the creators have vacated the property, then yeah, it's okay to kind of be like, okay, well, the the timelines and the you know the continuity has has gotten all fucked up. You know, look at the Halloween franchise for God's sake, like sure, like sure. bananas. So you know. I, I, I totally get that, but yeah, these are all directed by the Wachowskis in one piece or duo, right? And it's like, okay, come on, like you know. But it's, it's like, do you need? But it's like, do you need to watch Dumb and Dumberer when Harry met Lloyd <laughs> um, to understand Dumb and Dumber two? Well, and, and here's here's, here's my other question. Here's my other question, right? And and I guess my mother in laws maybe a a good example of this, where it, it clearly seemed like either she had consumed two or two and three and had completely forgotten about it, or just never had. Um, And she was game and willing to watch this film. And, you know, she had some questions for sure. But I don't know. Like, do we feel like someone can watch The Matrix and then just watch Matrix 4? Do we? No. Yeah. I don't think so. You got to watch them all. I don't think so. I mean, because there's just so. Now, granted, that's a good point jumping off of what I mentioned about the cutaways, like the visual cutaways that they do, especially when like Priyanka Jonas shows up. They fill in some gaps. She's good. She's good. We didn't talk about her. She's good in this movie. She she is very good, I I thought. Um, The. But yeah, I think the. um, I would say you still. Because thematically. The romant, the romantic angle and the sort of sentimental heart of this movie finds its roots not really in the first one, but more so in the sequels, particularly mm-hmm. the end of the second one and all of the third one. Like, that's, I think, where this franchise really starts wearing its heart on its sleeve in that regard. And I think if you try to jump from these sort of just maybe slightly too cool for school aspect of the attitude of the first one into this one. 
I think you would just be totally blindsided like yeah yeah the, the um, first one because it, it does feel like a natural progression it, like it, it is yeah. funny you mentioned that because you know you were mentioning the bowling ball sequence when when some of the agent smiths get knocked over and i was thinking back to the first film and there there isn't really any of that kind of stuff you know i mean there's there's some callbacks and things like that to you know famous sequences or or things of that nature but for the like most the, part the newspaper as a as a absolutely uh, tumbleweed dust, uh, yeah the tumbleweed yeah thing. yeah like yeah. Th there's there's some great kind of homages yeah, the first, in the there, first one looks more like bound than it does <laughs> Right. Then it does like. And isn't, am I wrong? Isn't the end, isn't the Smith thing, sorry, speaking of bound, isn't the Smith line at the end from bound? I don't, I, I would have, to, I don't know. I mean, I love bound. I'd have to go back. His, I, I could be wrong. I feel, or it's like a version of it. His, I, I've always been anyone kind of. The, uh, I don't, I don't know. But I mean, like his, bound, bound is a neo-noir and it's lit that way. And you know, a lot of the matrix is is styled like a noir, right? And I think once you mm -hmm. get into the sequels, you're getting into a more anime, you know, colorful, splashy, right? You know, colorful is the wrong word because you're dealing in a lot of metallics and greens, obviously, but like within the world, colorful, right? Um, sure. And you it gets go to a like lot. a French chateau and It shit. gets more like popastic and stuff in the sequels. Sure. And obviously I, I, Resurrections I, is more like that. So I, I, think, I think that was one of the reasons why so many people were kind of put put on the back foot a little bit about this film was the um the way that they had to market this right they couldn't come out and say that this is kind of a metatextual kind of reimagining right. re of this film or of this series um and i think a lot of people were like is this a reboot like you know, just kind of wondering, like, ah, oh, fuck, are we, are we really doing a reboot of this thing again? Like, mm. you know, when when we get so many of them, it, and so I think it's that's a hard. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a hard move to market. Like, mm -hmm. I, to, to that to that point. I mean, that said, it's hard to market in so far as you know, past the point that it already does market itself because it's a sequel to one of the most financially successful franchises, you know, in relatively recent memory. Um, but. But yeah, it's I, I was thinking a lot about that. It does do the nice thing. My wife mentioned this to me when she watched it, um, which I was pleased by as well upon seeing the movie is that, you know, the trailer is by and large with the handful of you know exceptions with certain shots here and there. It's basically the first 30 minutes of the movie. Yep. Right. Yeah, I, I, and, I, I, and hate I think it. that's really cool. Yeah. Like I, I love it when when filmmakers and marketing teams and whoever the fuck are smart enough to just go, here's the first 30 minutes of my movie cut a trailer from this don't don't yeah. fucking ask me for anything from the last like half of my film like no right. like <laughs> uh and i i do think it does help with the experience particularly a first time watch of this movie because you're just you know i don't know again depending on whether your expectations are high or low i think the joy in this movie is just letting it unfold like um but uh but yeah that said anything else uh anything else before we we wrap it all up i think we're all we're all pretty solid on it um and uh and would be down for a fifth one if it if it certainly presented itself um i'll start esther with you uh where can people find you uh people can find me on twitter uh at capy baroness c-a-p-y-b-a-r-o-n-e-s-s -S. 
I do a podcast called Get Cynical that doesn't have a website, so just Google Get Cynical Podcasts and you'll find the SoundCloud link. Um, and anything else I do will be on Twitter. So that's where to find me. I I I will say uh, I only just recently started following you, but it's been a great decision. So <laughs> agreed, uh, I, agreed. I, I, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it very, very much. And thank you so much for uh, you know taking the time to join us here and offering your your insights onto this fascinating, awesome movie. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Bill, uh, over to you. Where can people find you? Uh, you can always find me on the Film Stage Show, uh, the uh, podcast. And uh, you can also find me on the Slack channel, Mixing It Up. You can find me on Twitter, at CableBFG. Unfortunately, I do not tweet very much. Uh, but I am on Instagram as well, at Billstagram, if you want to see cute photos of my dog. Oh, I'll take that. That sounds great. Uh, and Dan, where can uh, where can people find you? At DJ Mecca on Twitter, and uh, always and always. Um, that was for Brian. Wherever you are, Brian. <laughs> Brian at Matrix Hater, Matrix Sequel Hater. Uh, God bless you. Um, but um, yeah, and then obviously always writing stuff for the film stage, and always on the B side. We have some cool episodes coming up, including one with Joe Wright, director of Cyrano. He came on the podcast to talk about oh, some wow. of his own some of his own B sides, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a pretty. I'll I'll jump in and continue that plug. Uh, that's a hell of you know, a gig, y'all. Yeah, it was yeah, a great. Yeah, it was no, a great. Uh, it was a great conversation. It'll be really cool, and that'll be. One of the probably one of the first episodes we we post in the new year uh, over at the B side, which if you like what you've heard here on the film stage show, uh, you can check out that other podcast that Dan and I host called the B side. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TFS B side. Uh, there we talk about movie stars and filmmakers and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they make in between. And we're going to make Esther uh, come on to talk about Carrie Ann Moss's B-sides. With Red, oh, 100%. Red Planet, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Disturbia, freaking... Chocolat. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolat. Um, that's not a B-side. That's not a B-side. Um, <laughs> it might be for her, though. Right? For her. Know. Yeah, uh, not Memento, obviously. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, uh, as Dan mentioned, we got some really cool things. I guess as this episode drops, we will also be dropping our end of year episode on that feed uh, where Dan and I will, will talk about uh, some New Year's Eve B-sides. Um, so go ahead and check that out. As for this podcast, you can, as I mentioned before, follow it on Twitter at Film Stage Show and on Facebook at The Film Stage Show. Uh, you can email at podcast at thefilmstage.com. And uh, once again, uh, if you'd like to contribute, you can become a patron of this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to the private Slack channel and a first crack at our raffles and other fun stuff. Uh, so that has been, you know, that's been going for a while now, that Slack channel. I'm not personally a part of it, but, but uh, I, I hear all the juicy bits that seep through. So um, so you can check that out if you become a patron. Otherwise, thank you all for listening and have a happy new year.